Church Life Today podcast is a production of Redeemer Radio and the McGrath Institute for Church Life at the University of Notre Dame and is brought to you in part by Notre Dame FCU and our listeners. If you could build a Catholic school from the ground up, what would you do? What would you emphasize? What would you leave out? What kind of vision would you have for how you want your students to be formed and what kind of culture you hope to foster? I talked with someone today who had the opportunity to do something very much like that when a couple years ago he took on the position of headmaster at Our Lady of the Rosary Catholic School. He was brought in in part to help build an upper school that went through the 12th grade, and he was charged with the mission of nurturing a small, family-focused Catholic school. My guest is Thomas Curtin, joining us from his school community in Greenville, South Carolina. Prior to taking on his present role, Thomas was the principal of a well-regarded Catholic high school in the Atlanta area, and prior to that, he served Catholic education as a teacher and in other administrative positions. Our conversation today will touch on the ideals of a Catholic education and the challenges to pursuing those ideals in today's educational climate. Thanks for joining me, Leonard DiLorenzo, for yet another episode of Church Life Today, a production of the McGrath Institute for Church Life. Thomas Curtin, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. So you've been involved in Catholic education for, I guess, well over a decade now. And in fact, you were the principal of the high school or the upper upper school of this really fantastic Catholic school in the greater Atlanta area. But then you received an invitation to move with your family to Greenville, South Carolina, to become the headmaster of Our Lady of the Rosary School, which at that point was just an elementary school with a middle school a few years ago, with aspirations to build an upper school. So... My first question is, you've got this great gig at a great school in Atlanta. Why did you go to South Carolina? Well, it was a great gig. And first of all, Holy Spirit Prep in Atlanta is a fantastic school, great leadership, wonderful families, solid teachers. So I hope that they're, they're paying you for this, this free press uh, on your podcast. Um, uh, they look. aren't, but we're um, wel- we welcome that kind of sponsorship. In the future, excellent, yeah. I, excellent. And, and so they are a great school, and I w- we left. I left on very good terms with them, and wish them well. Uh, you know, but my my nine years there, and certainly all of my education that I had received up to that point, prior to becoming a, a teacher and administrator, it started to kind of gnaw on me that there were other ways, perhaps, to do things, particularly in the context of Catholic education that ultimately would produce the kind of students that I believed Catholic schools were created to produce. Hmm. Right? So, you know, so, so much of what we find ourselves doing in Catholic schools, at school, in, including schools like Holy Spirit Prep, is kind of surveying the market landscape and looking at, you know, why are parents choosing schools for their kids? Why are kids choosing the schools, which they do more and more for themselves these days? Right. Uh, doing a lot, of, a lot of that kind of data gathering. Right. And then basically chasing the the conclusions that the data leads us to, um, but the data itself can be misleading because it, how do we acquire it? You know, we, we survey people, but but we don't necessarily get down to the heart of what what human flourishing is, what people really want, even sometimes what they don't even know that they want. Right. And so I, I kind of consulted my own sense of you know what the church teaches us about the purpose of education about. Catholic schools, and and said, 
you know, I want to open my mind to the possibility that there might be a place where I can actually uh, do this more effectively as a school leader. And that was when I came into contact with Father Dwight Longenecker, um, who might be familiar to your listeners because mm-hmm. he, he has a pretty successful um, writing career and a, a blog of his own. And we connected in Atlanta, and he shared his vision of a small, family-focused Catholic school that had the aspiration of growing to actually through 12th grade to graduated students. And the more we talked, the more I got a sense of his vision. I got very excited about that. And, and the real differences between Holy Spirit Prep and Our Lady of the Rosary, they aren't the differences that you would maybe surmise. It wasn't a question, really, of kind of orthodoxy mm-hmm. or faithfulness to the magisterium. I hope that I would always choose schools who have those qualities. But I started to see that, you know, a devotion to what the Church teaches and a love of the Church was often at Holy Spirit Prep kind of running up against the natural undertow of the school. It was a very affluent parent community, very well-heeled, and the Church teaches a spirit of poverty. The Church Mm -hmm. teaches a spirit of simplicity. And I would never point the finger at anyone in that school and say, well, they weren't about that, or they weren't doing that. But nevertheless, you felt that undertow. And I wanted to be in a place where we could kind of focus on what education is really about, which to me was getting back to basics, Mm -hmm. and not allowing our marketing push to be constantly oriented toward an athletic program success, or a new STEM technology that we'd acquired or even a college placement, but really what was happening in the hearts and souls of our students and in their family lives as well, which I I really felt was where the greatest impact needed to be that a school makes. Yeah. No, I want to go back to what you said about this vision of a small, family-focused Catholic school. I was wondering if you could kind of flesh that out for us, and then I'm going to have a follow-up, which I'll give you a preview of now. You know, as you were mentioning, athletic programs, college placement, the new STEM sort of developments, these are many of the, the elements that go into recruiting students and recruiting families to a school. So I'm going to ask you to talk about, like, the challenge of basically building a school and drawing in families when those typical sort of selling points, if you will, marketing points, aren't what you're putting the, the weight on. But first, tell me tell yeah. me about this vision of a, what, what is a small family-focused Catholic school as you understand it or as you're trying to, to realize it? Right. It's kind of struck me that a school can orient itself in one of two directions. It can either be more like a university mm-hmm. or it can be more like a family. It is very hard to be more like both because they kind of push in opposite directions. Right, the families value intimacy of relationship with both the you know the positives and the negatives that can come with that. <laughs> right, right? that's a challenge right. as well as as well as a blessing. Right. But the intimacy of the of knowing the people around you deeply, knowing not just the people you've chosen to know, but knowing all of them, mm-hmm. there is a sense that you make do with what you have in a family. A family is about appreciating what is rather than constantly chasing after what might be. At least I should say in happy and successful families, right. right? Some families experience dysfunction, and I think a lot of that comes because they are wanting a family to somehow provide for every imagined need or, or aspiration, and rather, rather than simply being good, right. which is what it is created to be. I mean, on the other swing of the pendulum, you have the college life, right? I attended the University of Notre Dame. You the one know in the Indiana? University of Notre Dame. That one? That is the one. Okay. Um, you, you know, we, we know it well as a place that offers uh, every opportunity under the sun, uh-huh. which, is, which is great. Well, there's not but, always sun, but I take your point. Uh, touche. Okay. I, I agree. Under, the, um, under so, the clouds that are under the sun. True. Okay. They offer many things, but 
there is this sense that there is always more you could have or do or pursue, Mm -hmm. and that success in the college environment comes from actualizing that potential, right? right? Doing more, having more experiences, racking up the that, not just in terms of achievement, but just in terms of experience. Mm -hmm. And so what that does is rather than create a heart that is content, it creates a heart that is yearning, but not yearning for for Christ, yearning, Just yearning for, for yearn for more yearning, kind of the perpetual yes, yearning re- for yeah. yearning's sake, right? If we can coin a phrase, we do. So, so I I think that you know in the life of a, a Catholic elementary school, especially, it's at that point of where the pendulum swings one way or the other. Mm-hmm. Holy Spirit prep for all that is great about it, I felt was getting sucked toward that idea of being more like a mini college for kids. Well, this I mean, where I want I wanted a school that was more like a family that that taught the hard lessons a family naturally teaches by its makeup, uh-huh. and to do that in a school context. And you almost have to start afresh in order to do that. Once you kind of move one way on the pendulum, as you're saying, it's very difficult to re rebuild that from from a, a character or a momentum that you're already involved in. I don't want to take us too far afield, but. When you look at the history of the Catholic universities in mm-hmm. America, mm-hmm. I feel that like you see this kind of cycle that they experience, where they're founded with this like deep aspiration to do the work of the church. Yeah, right. They're founded yeah. in their simplicity, their humility, their mission, and then they grow. They reach a point of maybe maximum effectiveness, and then they start to chase the world. And we see this, and you can kind of look at the schools that are almost in their like sunset, where they've they've had their journey, and we're just trying to figure out what to do with them now. I won't name names. Right. And then there are the schools that are maybe at the zenith of what they can achieve. But then there's this kind of next wave of new schools that are being founded because you see that, well, now the work has to be renewed. Mm. The same thing happens to the religious orders of mm-hmm. the Church. So I think that getting back to basics, it is true that once the pendulum starts to swing, it is very hard to swing it back. And so sometimes you just have to start over. This is Leonard Lorenzo, and you're listening to Church Life Today on Redeemer Radio. I'm talking with Thomas Curtin, headmaster of Our Lady of the Rosary Catholic School in Greenville, South Carolina. If you don't mind, let me take a moment. I'm, I actually want to read your mission statement because I know that this is something you yourself and uh, your pastor worked on as, uh, along with your team. And... I think, you know, I can ask you to comment on it a little bit to talk about sort of the vision of this educational sort of culture that you're you're building and the kind of mission that you're seeking to pursue. So I'll read it. Under the patronage of the Blessed Virgin Mary, the mission of Our Lady of the Rosary Catholic School is to support parents in their role as the primary educators of their children. Our rigorous classical training draws out of students their natural desire for wisdom and virtue. By fostering a love for truth, beauty, and goodness, we seek to form disciples of Jesus Christ, set free to realize their full potential by living joyfully in accordance with the truth revealed by God through nature and the Catholic Church. Comment for us, if you will, on this mission statement and what you're trying to express. Sure. Well, my first comment is that I do not want to take credit for something that is that is not my invention. Why not? This mission. Well. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Go ahead. I, I, it's I the virtue it part in there. I know. Desire for wisdom and virtue. Statement. Okay. Go ahead. But this mission statement is one that I actually that, that we largely adopted from another uh, Catholic classical school that is already having a lot of success. Okay. I was so inspired when I read it. I said. And I think you know me well enough to know I love to write my own stuff. But I saw this, I saw this, and I said I can't improve on that. It just felt pitch perfect. Uh-huh. It felt designed to meet the moment that we're in. 
And so I, I pretty much just said, this is great, and then I presented it to my team, my pastor, and, and they concurred. So we've, we've adopted this mission statement, and uh, there are a couple things in particular that I like about it. I mean, first, the focus on parents as the primary educators. Yeah. It is often the case that, that schools set themselves up as kind of the authorities over the, the home, even. Um, we, we constantly are um, either explicitly or implicitly critiquing the parents, critiquing the, the family. And I'm not saying that there's never something to critique, but I thought it was important that our mission statement kind of enshrine this relative deference to parents mm. in the relationship, that we are, we are extending the work of the parents, not replacing it. And for me, it comes back to kind of a basic principle that in the beginning, right, God created the heavens and the earth, and he created a family. Right? Adam and Eve were the first family. They were the first school. Mm. Catholic schools, right, no schools, in fact, would be created for many years, and Catholic <laughs> schools many years after that. So Catholic schools are an heir to a tradition, not the creators of the tradition. And that tradition began in the home. So I, I just think it's so important that we acknowledge that God created the perfect school in the family, and the, we need to acknowledge the natural goodness of it and try to try to tap into as much of that as we can, both through connecting with our families and modeling ourselves after them. Well, tell me about then the kind of education that you're trying to add on to what the family is able to do themselves. So you say here, you know, we are involved in a rigorous classical training. So this classical education, what constitutes yes. the, the classical education and why do you value it? Yeah, the classical education, first, this, this is a it's a word and a phrase that it does mean different things to different people. And so even even speaking of it now, I'm eager to define my terms, so to speak. Mm-hmm. You're a um, lawyer, lawyer by training, by the way. Well, I, I am by, by, by training. I'll admit it here on the radio in front of everyone. <laughs> but the, the classical education, to me, really, it, it comes back to a couple of core principles that are very important. The first is, you know, in classical, the word suggests old, right? It's something that's been around a long time. Mm-hmm. And classical education is understood to have originated in um, first Greek and then, then Roman society. And then with the conversion of Rome became kind of this, this implicit part of Christian and Catholic education moving forward from that. So classical education, you know, it, it goes way back to the beginning of Western civilization. But it means a couple things. First, I would say classical education is about forming the person for happiness, for flourishing, for virtue. And these things are all kind of related ways of saying the same thing, right, for goodness. And it is not primarily about job training, and it's certainly not primarily about achieving some sort of um, educational um, placement down the road, like right. college admission. It certainly adequately prepares a person for college and for a career. It more than adequately prepares them. But it does so as a byproduct of its telos, mm-hmm. of its you know, purpose, rather than as the purpose itself. And so you get deep into the soul when you classically educate somebody. And, and then you do that, and this is kind of the next piece, by putting yourself into relationship with other people who have had those qualities, right? If you want to be virtuous, read the lives of the saints. Read the lives of great philosophers. Study people who exemplify virtue. If, if you want to be a person who is an artist, right, don't spend all your time studying just the, the technical aspects of art. Study artists. Yeah. 
uh, so classical education acknowledges is that we are we are product of our influences, and we have to really mind those influences in order to have a sense of where we're going. I think that modern education, you know, it's, sometimes it's hard to really understand a thing unless you discuss what it's in comparison or in contrast to. I think one of the big challenges with modern education is now that we live in such a relativistic, subjective culture that we've lost the ability even to define what the content is that is important enough to teach and pass on. Hmm. So when you gather educators from around the world, even if you gather the educators in a Catholic diocese, they're not going to agree about what's important, what's worth passing on, because there is no shared culture that they can tap into. So do you end up All kind of falling back on what's most effective or trendiest or what happens to be well, gaining the most attention for maybe recruitment? Right. What can we agree on? Well, yeah. we can agree on the fact that these kids are going to need to get into colleges, hopefully. The right. fact that they're going to need to get jobs eventually. Right. And so rather than focus on, you know, kind of content, which and, and co- the content of education goes right to the heart of who the person becomes, right? Those are the things we are learning. Mm-hmm. They're going to go into our heart deep. Rather than content, we focus on skills, skill training. And if you look at the standards of, of schools, the educational standards that we have to teach, more and more they're moving away from being content standards, right? Students will know to Swebot, students will be able to right. do things. Right, right, right. These skills are not evil. They're, they're great. But a skill only has positive moral value if it's in the hands of a person who is positively formed, <laughs> right. morally formed themselves, right? Right. Otherwise, you're raising a generation of supervillains yeah. who have amazing skills. So but it's the great power so, comes with great responsibility. I mean, this is a Spider-Man. Spider-Man, uh, Spider-Man knew, for sure. right? For sure. I, I say that, I actually use that quote all the time with my kids and here at the school, and it will be in my home once they learn who Spider-Man is. <laughs> um, but, <laughs> but you know, this is the big, the big challenge, is how do, we, how do we kind of rediscover the core content, the what of education? Yeah. And in, in a classical context, that is the grammar. Cla- classical educators talk about grammar, logic, and rhetoric. Mm-hmm. Right, grammar is really the content of the education, and then once you have that content, once you've learned it deeply, then you can apply it logically. You can speak of it rhetorically, persuasively, intelligently, and communicatively. And then you've got somebody who's really college ready. And I probably don't need to tell you that a lot of students, even arriving at college, can't do these things. Yeah, I can um, tell you a few because things. they've been so. They've been so focused on getting into college mm-hmm. that they forgot how to properly prepare for it. Well, and then it's chasing whatever the next thing is. That's typically what the training ends up being, if it's a college prep curriculum in terms of just seeking after the admissions as the primary thing you set your heart on. The thing you then have your heart set on is chasing after the next thing. But we can get to that in a moment, perhaps. This is Leonard DiLorenzo, and you're listening to Church Life Today on Redeemer Radio. I'm talking with Thomas Curtin, headmaster of Our Lady of the Rosary Catholic School in Greenville, South Carolina. Now, earlier I said I was going to have a follow-up question. I want to get to this follow-up question now in relation to what you were just talking about. So you were mentioning some of these things that tend to get emphasized, let's say, at, at many other schools. And, and they're related, I think, a lot to recruiting and the marketing of the school, which especially for a private school is really important because you need to draw in the, the enrollment. So they'd be things like extraordinary athletic programs, the sort of college placement metrics. And you also mentioned you know, the, the latest things related to STEM education. If you're you know, de-emphasizing some of those things intentionally, how, therefore, are you uh, inviting, drawing people in to your school community? Because it's important for every school, yours as well, to have enrollments. 
Yeah, absolutely. Well, I, I think even before you get to your extracurricular offerings, mm-hmm. you start with the question of, of price, because the choices a school makes in terms of how to price itself will suggest a kind of a, a menu of next-level options the school will offer. Mm. So, you know, for instance, at Holy Spirit, it was a very high-priced school. By pricing it at that level, you've already committed yourself to elite athletics, to an amazing STEM program, to top-notch um, fancy drama programs, because it's baked in. Yeah. Right? Well, it's a, and it's a very competitive X, market there, for the education market yeah, there. It's very competitive. Exactly. Yeah. If you're, and if you're going to charge X, you have to offer Y. Right. And so I think you begin by kind of saying, well, we have to start with the idea that Catholic education is supposed to be universally available to Catholic children. Hmm. And so we begin by saying, how, how low can we price this and run a school, rather than how much will the market allow us to charge? And so that's kind of where I begin. Right. And then hopefully, once you've tried to run as efficient and, you know, and really just a, a school as possible from a tuition standpoint, you say, okay, what, are, what does a person really need in order to feel fully educated. Yeah. And I, I think they do need extracurriculars. I think that they need opportunities for sports. But to actually play the sport, a lot of schools, the, the types of schools you're mentioning, the ones that market their sports programs, they're not actually marketing participation on a team. They're mm. marketing participation in the stands. Yeah. You actually are paying to become a spectator in your school. Yeah. I mean, that's look, a lot of us did that for Notre Dame, right? <laughs> we, we were, uh, uh, I have walked on degrees, the field, Varying Tommy. degrees of... <laughs> varying degrees of uh, of uh, ROI on that, but <laughs> no. But I, I mean, but, I, I think many people would understand what you're talking about in terms of the marketing towards the not the participation, but the being a spectator of many of these fantastic sports. I went to a high school like that, a Catholic high school, and in fact, that was part of the reason I chose it is because I saw in the late '90s this high school playing football on television, which was unheard of at that point, right? And I wasn't going to play football, but it caught my eye. It was an interesting thing. So I I understand what you're talking about, and I imagine many others do as well. Yeah, I don't want to be blithe about this. Yeah. It is not it's not a slam dunk. It's not like oh well, you just don't offer elite sports and then everything works out. The reality reality is that these things are attractive to kids because yeah. kids want to be cool. They want to be at the school with the championship team. And it's only exacerbated by social media because now there is an additional forum where people share all the successes of their schools and pictures of their kids at games and things like yeah. that. Yeah. And there is a strong momentum to keep up with the Joneses on social media as well as in actual fact. Mm-hmm. So this is a real challenge and it's a constant there's a constant need for, for kind of counter-speech to remind families at your school and in the community what an education actually is. And that a spectator school, while it might be fun, is not actually educating your children hmm. in the same way. And you're, you're paying for something that has no educational value. That's a really interesting so, phrase you use, the, spe- the term spectator school. That's really worth thinking about. It's what a lot of people experience. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think the majority, right? The majority of kids who go to high school in America spend most of their time as spectators watching other kids Excel. receive an athletic, an athletic education. Well, and this goes back to what you were um, talking about before in terms of, you know, the more like a family side, right? Not the more like a university side. And you even put it in the terms of, you know, in a family, you make, make do with what you've got. So you're saying, okay, we're building this family. What, what is the price point that makes it possible for everybody to, for many, many people to be involved? And then based on what we've got, we make do with what we've got. 
and everybody's going to participate like you're in a family, not as, you know, not in a family. In a family, you're not just watching other people do family stuff. You're part of it. Well, and, and to come back to the idea of, of marketing these programs, and this is something that I that I felt at my last school was a mm-hmm. challenge. That you recognize that in the market there are people who want a great basketball team, or want a great STEM program, or want a great theater program, and all of these things are fine. They're they're good. I mean, I believe in pursuing excellence. So don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that we shouldn't pursue excellence in the arenas in which we find ourselves. Mm-hmm. But when we market those programs as kind of the reason to choose your school. We attract people who are essentially niche consumers of the education, and they'll be satisfied so long as the niche offering meets their expectation. But if the niche offering is not successful, there is no loyalty to your school because you have not marketed your mission. You've marketed the niche. So when you have to have a school that has a strong and well-defined mission and then you just have to market that mission relentlessly so that people are choosing your school for the right reasons. And, and I saw this all too often, is that you'd, you'd get someone in the door, they're really excited, but then the teacher who ran that particular program leaves, the program leaves with it, and now that person is, uh, they're, they're a negative presence mm. because they did not come for the thing that was permanent. Right? The mission is permanent. The 3D printer is not permanent. The 3D printer is not permanent. We're about out of time, so I want to ask you just one last thing. We'll have to address it quickly, and then maybe we can come back and have another conversation in the future. But in terms of the culture of your school, as somebody, a student, a parent, comes into the school environment, what kind of culture do you want them to encounter? Well, that's a great question. Somebody once said to me that Catholic schools, if run right, should be irresistible. Hmm. And I, that word, I, I think, is an important word. I don't know that I really understand exactly what it means in the context of a school, but it's it's what I want. I want people to walk in and feel a palpable sense of love and welcome. Uh, not generic welcome, but that connection. Yeah. Communion, right, yeah. for lack of a better word. Yeah, that, well, it that might be the best you word. Arrive, the best word, thank yeah. you. Communion. Yeah. That we, we arrive and we feel at one at once. Oh, I love that. With, That's good. With, with the people that we are with. And again, that, that we quickly move from unfamiliar to familial. Love it. Well, let's end there. Thomas, thank you so much for spending the time with us on Church Life today. It's been so good to have you. Thank you very much for having me. And yes, I, I look forward to our next conversation. It's been a pleasure. We'll have to do it again. You can look up his school, Our Lady of the Rosary Catholic Church, online. You'll also find there some blog posts uh, from Thomas Curtin, kind of describing the school culture and community, what this classical education is, and what the Catholic vision of this education is at Our Lady of the Rosary Catholic School. Thanks to all of you for joining us on Church Life Today. We'll talk to you next time. This Church Life Today podcast is a production of Redeemer Radio and the McGrath Institute for Church Life at the University of Notre Dame and is brought to you in part by Notre Dame FCU and our listeners. Does debt have you down? Are you worried about your credit cards, your mortgage, or keeping your car? Notre Dame Federal Credit Union can help. Our people are trained to be financial physicians. They can give you a checkup, help you to heal, and then stay healthy. 
Don't be embarrassed, it's why we exist. When your body is sick, you go to see a doctor. When your finances are sick, you go to see the friendly folks at Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. You already share our values. Why not share in our benefits?